thank you once again for this cherished time uh, to be together as a church family to celebrate Christ, his birth, his coming, his salvation. And um, thank you so much, God, for loving us and sending your son for us, for our rescue. And um, I pray, God, that if the familiar words of the text we'll be looking at today will not fall on deaf ears or um, ears that are uh, just too familiar with things, but rather that our hearts will be filled with wonder because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Thank you so much, God, for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Here at Faith Bible Church for the last month and a half or so, two months maybe, um, we've, we've gone through and completed uh, a series on being prepared for Jesus' return. We took five weeks uh, to do that, and it was from Mark chapter 13. And I feel like I've said that so many times in the last couple months that uh, you have no choice but to remember that the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus tells of future things and the signs of his coming, is found in Mark chapter 13 and Matthew 24 and 25 and Luke 21. Hopefully that's just been drilled into you so you know exactly where it is now. But uh, we had a great time in that study, and we, we tacked on a little excursus on ex eschatology last week to conclude it. And so I thought uh, that we would, for our Christmas sermon today, uh, in celebration of our Savior's first coming, I uh, just want to go back in time to a well-known passage in Scripture which tells of that much longed-for event. So please turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 is our text for today, and our title is, For Unto Us a Child is Born. <coughs> and the, the hallelujah chorus of Handel's epic Messiah um, is the most well-known song uh, out of that whole, whole thing, right? That, that grand masterpiece that, that uh, Handel composed. Uh, those many years ago. But the song based on Isaiah 9-6, For unto us a child is born, is the next most well-known. And I won't sing it, but let me just point out to you for our this main point today, uh, the name of the promised child is such that causes us as believers uh, to, to look forward with much hope and joy. Uh, because God's word always holds true. Okay, so I want us to just be um, thinking about that. His name is one that causes us as believers to be filled with hope and joy as we look forward, look forward and realize God's word always holds true. So I'm going to read the text today, Isaiah 9. And if you are able to, please stand with me as we honor God's word. Verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. 
please be seated. you notice, as I read verse 6 there, it begins with the word for. And this word, little word, introduces the reason for something. So we need to look back just for a brief moment to the last verse of chapter 8. Look down, chapter 8, verse 22. And it says, Then they will look to the earth, and behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Okay, so Isaiah speaks of God's people, they, um, in spiritual darkness and pending doom. They're distressed, they're lost, they're dejected by their own rejection of Yahweh. That's what's going on. Okay, the whole first half of Isaiah is like this judgment um, on, on God's people. But then look at verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, but there will be no more gloom. And why is that? He goes on. No more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. That was judgment, God's judgment on the people. But later on, he shall make it glorious. He shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. How, he's gonna, how is he going to make it glorious, dear people? Uh, it's because a child is coming. Okay, a son will be given. Um, look ahead to look at again to verse two. It says, "The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them." W what is this great light? What is this light that's going to shine in the darkness? A child will be born. A son will be given. Verse three. It says, you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They'll be glad in your presence as with gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Uh, why is there going to be such overflowing joy like it just says there in verse 3? Well, here, the first four is found in verse 4. It says, for you, God, shall break the yoke of their burdens and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, is at the battle of Midian. And then verse 5 says, further, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. And all of those lead to verse 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given. In other words, this abundant joy that verse 3 describes that leads the people out of darkness will come from a divine deliverance from oppression, which God brings about by ending war and judgment and spiritual stubbornness. God will provide multiplied gladness, a welling up of joy, this like uncontainable rejoicing. Okay, that's the idea there. It's like someone who's been shipwrecked. Okay, lost at sea for, for weeks. You've heard those stories or, or uh, read about it or seen movies. Okay, they're about to give up, right? Due to the elements and starvation and sharks and sickness. They're ready to sink to their death. But then suddenly they see a boat in the distance, a light coming in the darkness okay, to rescue him. What, what joy fills up the guy who's about to go down into the depths of the ocean? 
Okay, God brings this spiritual light and hope and rescue through the coming of a person. Verse 6, for a child will be born to us, a son given to us. So for our message today, we have three just uh, headings, three anchor points that we want to um, look at. First one is his glorious incarnation, the first part of verse 6, his glorious incarnation. The second one is in the last part of verse 6, which is his name is wonderful. And we're going to go over those four, four things there. His glorious incarnation, and then his name is wonderful, and I'll save the last one for last, okay? So let's look at that. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. By the way, Isaiah is writing this 700 years or so before Jesus was born, and yet some translations, which I actually like better than the NASB, which I love um, in general, but some translations write, for unto us a child is born. It's actually uh, Handel in his Messiah uses that um, from the King James Version. Um, the ESV also says, for to us a child is born. So Isaiah's writing 700 years before, but, but that translation, which is faithful to the, the Hebrew text, uh, a child is born to us. It's in the present. It's acting as if this thing that's going to happen in the future has, has already happened. Okay, it's, it's called a, a prophetic perfect. Um, it's, it's trying to express the fact that this is such a, a, a guarantee, um, such a sure fulfillment, that they're writing it as if it's, it's already happened. Okay, actually, the Net Bible uh, actually um, puts, for unto us a child has been born, a son has been given to us. It can be fairly translated even like that. It hasn't happened yet, but it's a done deal. Okay? So, Nasby's fine too, but um, a child will be born. So, his glorious incarnation, it's talking about the humanness of this child. A child, a physical child. He's going to be physically born. He's a human being. Okay? And so, um, this is the anointed one. This child will come from the Jews. Is the predicted birth of the Messiah, and the fact that he will be born indicates human parents, or at least a human mother. And so the truth that he was born of the Virgin Mary doesn't glorify Mary so much as it speaks of the glory of the incarnation, the miracle of God becoming man. The Son of God came to us as a human, and so this is right? Fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ. And this was so that he might become Emmanuel, Matthew 1, which was read in our scripture reading, which means God with us. God with us. So um, a son will be given to us. The child is going to be a boy. And that's not, that's not so many options. Okay? It's either a boy or a girl, and it's going to be a son, one who is given. A son will be given. A son is given. A son has been given. It's a gift. Okay, the Son is a gift to us from God, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. So this child, this Son, was not a created spirit, not a created angel, but an actual man, 
He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. Hebrews 2 tells us that he had to first become our kinsman in order that he might redeem us. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. It says, therefore, since the children, and these are all believers, people have been born again, may the children share <laughs> in flesh and blood, that's us, we're human, right? He himself, Christ, likewise also partook of the same. And he became a man, humanity. So that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. Now Hebrews 2, precious, precious verses there. So Isaiah's prophecy, back to Isaiah 9, was fulfilled when Jesus was born centuries later in that lowly manger that we celebrate today, this first advent, this first coming of Christ, the glorious incarnation. And it says in verse uh, 6, the last part there, or the middle part, the government will rest on his shoulders. The government will rest on his shoulders. He's going to carry the nation, the nation of Israel. He's going to carry the nations upon himself. And part of the idea there is that he's going to rule with authority. And uh, we looked uh, at that last week as we considered the, the millennial kingdom, even beyond after he returns. And so such a precious, precious promise. You have to understand the context. To the Jews who are forlorn, they're struggling, strife, there's division, there's death, there's war. There's constant battles, infighting, outfighting. What a precious, precious promise to the Jews who are suffering from all the ravages of war and, and their own sin. And truthfully, this has stricken man uh, ever since the fall, right? The very first crime uh, after the, the, the fall of Adam and Eve was murder as described in, in Genesis. And so what a wonderful thing for the government to rest on the authority and for, for the king to bear that, that burden of, of righteous ruling over the nations. Okay, so this is, uh, in other words, going to be quite the special child, <laughs> quite the unique son, um, begotten, not created. Okay, unlike any other, God's anointed one. There's one Messiah. There's one Savior. And you must bow down to him. He is, he is the, the glorious God-man who commands worship. And so his uniqueness is reflected in his name. And so the second point today, his name is wonderful. A and it's so wonderful that Isaiah gives actually four names in one. And his greatness was such that just one name was not enough. And so this name, and by the way, when you read scripture and you read the Bible, names had uh, quite a significance uh, when they're given. Um, they're designations which reveal the character of the person or the attributes of the person. I could give you a bunch of examples, but basically they captured the essence of someone's being. Okay? And maybe those of you who are parents and you've considered your children when they were born, you gave them special names. Um, so this sublime quartet of names here gives us a multifaceted descriptor of the glorious Son of God who has come and will come again. So let's look at him. Wonderful Counselor. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. And that, that word wonderful, it's just, it 
that's a great word, is a good word. Uh, but lots of things are wonderful, right? Um, but it's more like wondrous, wondrous counselor, like extraordinarily great, like marvelous, like even miraculous. Okay, that's the, that's, the, that's the idea. That captures the idea better. It's so wonderful that it causes one to marvel or to be awestruck. And we know what a counselor is, an advisor, an advocate, okay, a guide, someone who directs you, who teaches, who instructs, who shows the way of life and shows the way of living as in how we are to live. In a world full of confusion and problems and lost people, like in Isaiah's time and like in our time today, the Messiah brings clarity, answers, and truth for life. A truth for life in a world filled with lies and seductions and deceptions. When Jesus grew up and began ministering to physically and spiritually needy people, he always knew the right words to say. He's a wondrous counselor. Whether they needed a rebuke, or they needed comfort, or they needed just reaching out to, or they needed one kind word, Jesus knew exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. He was always full of grace and truth. I love my Savior. And I want to ask you, do you, do you need a, a counselor today? Okay. We, we hear of many different types of counselors uh, in this world. Uh, guidance counselors for, for those who are in school, these students, uh, whether it's for college direction or career direction. A marriage counselors, maybe you're need a, in need of a marriage counselor today. Your, your marriage is in turmoil, and it's just a, a, a rough go every day. Maybe you need some family parenting counsel. That's also available, right, to deal with problem problems with your children, okay, whether they're young or older. Um, there's problem children. Maybe there's problem parents. There's relational counsel, okay, difficult people that God has placed in your life. And maybe there's, there's mental problems or mental confusion, mental disorder with some. Okay. Um, there's a myriad of things that, that need counseling. And God has provided human counselors who some who utilize God's word and uh, have been graciously provided by God and I praise the Lord for that for biblical counseling and just the opportunities that I as a pastor have to shepherd and, and counsel people but the key for everyone is knowing and submitting to Jesus the wondrous counselor himself first okay, there's no there's no help from me if, if you haven't submitted yourself to to Christ and so he's the wonder worker counselor. I want to encourage you all with that. To know him is to know wisdom. To, to fear the Lord is even the beginning of wisdom. There's no, there's no wisdom outside of knowing God. And so Christ is described as the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2 verse 3. And so he is to be pursued and sought after like one is, is seeking gold. He's, he's, he's more valuable than, than gold. So his words will never pass away. Um, the people who heard him speak said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks, John 7, verse 46. Peter confessed of his Lord, 
you have the words of eternal life, John chapter 6. His words will never pass away, though heaven and earth itself will. So that is uh, the first of the quartet, wonderful counselor. And those of you who know that song from Handel's uh, Messiah, uh, that I think that pause in between was purposeful. Wonderful counselor, okay? But you put them together, and that's what we have. The next one is Mighty God, Mighty God, El Gabor. Literally, God is mighty. God is mighty. Um, another way to th think about that is God is a warrior. Okay, this little child, infant's boy, with all the human frailties and needs and feebleness of a baby, in actuality is the almighty creator God of Genesis 1-1. Elsewhere in scripture, he is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Deuteronomy 10:17. He is, according to tw uh, Psalm 24, 8, the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. In Zephaniah 3, 17, he is the a victorious warrior. And lastly, Psalm 45, verse 3, he is the mighty one. Okay, these are all just connected words of El Gabor. And Psalm 45, verse 3, as I just read, is, is in context there, a prophecy of the Messiah. So um, a lot of times when I'm preparing sermons and studying and praying, like songs come to mind. And um, this Mary Did You Know, somehow or another throughout the, the last couple weeks, that's been coming up. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. And um, just another song that, that comes to mind is uh, He Who Is Mighty. He's done a great thing. Taken on flesh. Conquer death's sting, carried our darkness and lifted our shame. Holy is his name. Sorry, that one just came to mind. So these words that just wonderfully describe the miraculous incarnation. Okay, someone said the enfleshment, incarnation, enfleshment. This child is the mighty God. Okay, and so John 1, verse 1, right? In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. And so um, before we get to the next, next name here, uh, I want you to remember Isaiah, again, was writing to a suffering people whose lives were full of gloom and despair, which we read in, in chapter 8. Um, yes, much of it was due to their own sin and rebellion, but they needed a word of hope. So Isaiah speaks this word, speaks these names of the hope to come. It's the light of a new day. And this hope, this hope would come through the birth of a child who is really mighty God. Okay? Um, he tells of his sovereign power, and heroic 
nature. I liked uh, Ruth's offertory. I called him a champion. Okay, his champion. He's a hero. He's the omnipotent hero of the universe. So just as for the Israelites, this should bring us great comfort today. Just knowing that we worship a God whose power has no limits. Jesus is greater, stronger, tougher, more mighty than anything, any king, any president, any political party in this sin-stained world. And no problems that you might have or problem people or principalities even, demons that you face today is any match for the power of Christ who is the mighty God. I'm going to encourage you with that this morning. The third name that Isaiah gives there in verse 6 is Eternal Father. Eternal Father. And this one probably stirs the most question in our minds, right? Because we know that Jesus is the Son, and he is distinct from the Father. I just recited to you John 1 verse 1, right? Yet, of course, they are both God. We just saw that as well. So how is he called Eternal Father here? Well, that's a good question. And I want to submit to you that another way to consider that name or that title um, is by the, the more literal translation, which is the Father of Eternity. The Father of Eternity. As uh, Bible scholar John Walford writes, listen, the title Eternal Father is an idiom and it's used to describe the Messiah's relationship to time, not his rela relationship to the other members of the Trinity. He is said to be eternal, just as God the Father is called the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7, 9. The Messiah, Jesus, will be a fatherly ruler, end quote. Okay, so the Messiah is God the Son, yet one who is called the father of eternity. Okay, he is like the possessor of eternity. Right? Just kind of rounding out the, uh, the nuances here. He's the possessor of eternity as the creator of time and space. Okay, nothing is too vast or great or beyond him. He himself, as we saw, is an eternal being. Okay, he's eternal in his own existence. He calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You might recall Colossians 1.17, right? He is before all things, and in him all things hold to <laughs> together. As the sovereign son of God, one might say additionally that he functions as a father would over his children, okay, providing protection, affection, care, and compassion. He's the eternal, everlasting Father. Rightly called that here. As such, as such, once again, I want to just encourage you all. He can be counted on okay, as one who is causing all things to work together for your good, okay, for those who love him. And he is entitled to call sinners to himself to receive the gift of eternal life that only he can provide. All right, hopefully that was clear, but we've got to go to our last one here. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. This child, this son, he's the one who brings peace, who will bring peace. He rules in such a way that 
there will be peace on earth. He's such a prince that he brings peace even on a cosmic scale between a holy God and sinful man. He's the great peacemaker between God and man, Jew and Gentile. He's the umpire between nations. He's the abolisher of war. And he's also the giver of internal peace. This peace comes to all who being justified by faith have peace with God, Romans 5, verse 1. It's like Augustine said, folks, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him, in Christ. He's the only prince who makes amends and atones for sinners by becoming as one of his subjects, bearing the crimes of us common paupers and taking them upon himself as the suffering servant being nailed to a cross on their behalf. For unto us a child is born. As me and my family sang for our Christmas song last night, who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands? The giver of life was born in the night, revealing God's glorious plan to save the world. That leads us to our final point today. The glorious incarnation means his name is wonderful. Lastly, and he shall reign forever and ever. I'm borrowing heavily from Handel today. Georg Frederick Handel. And he shall reign forever and ever. Verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So this anointed one will possess ultimate wisdom, almighty power, everlasting existence, and bring unprecedented reconciliation and harmony to the world. And it is certain, it is sure, there's going to be a time, an administration yet future, when there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And as God providentially arranged this year, once again, Mark chapter 13, we saw that. We saw that um, progression into the millennial kingdom. It's going to happen when Jesus returns the second time. He rules here on earth for a thousand years, and his kingdom will continue into the eternal state after the entire universe is annihilated. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of the heavenly beings, will accomplish this, will accomplish this. So that part of it is yet to come. He will reign. He will be the perfect prefect, the righteous ruler, the king of all nations, the king of the Jews, and his reign will start in that messianic kingdom and continue into the new heavens and the new earth. Somehow or another, his government will be perfect, and his governing will bring peace, and all of it is going to continue on and on and on, and it will keep expanding and expanding. It will keep getting better and better and better. 
Okay, it's, it's the opposite of now. It's the opposite of today's world where things are getting worse and worse and worse as the scripture says it will. But there's going to be a time that's going to get better and better and better. And the question is, how can something that's perfect become better? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, with God, all things are, are possible, right? So I think that's the, the only place where everything is perfect, and yet it can become even better. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, For as many as are the promises of God, in him, Jesus, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians 1 20. So as we conclude here, this portrait in these couple verses, precious, incredible, amazing verses in Isaiah chapter 9, of this Christ child should cause us to look to the future with hope and joy. Truly, at Christmas today and every single day as we wind down 2022 and into the new year, hope and joy because of Christ. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. So, dear Faith Bible Church family, Jesus, his name, his character, his being is wonderful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your son was and is wonderful in his birth. He was wonderful and is wonderful in his life. He's wonderful in his teachings, in his miracles, in his death, in his resurrection. And Lord, you are wonderful as you promised you'll be coming back. Your name is wonderful. We praise you today. I pray that also that you will open our, our eyes, our spiritual eyes, and see just how wondrous you are. You are the King, you are the Messiah, and you are worthy to be praised this day and forevermore. In Christ's name we pray, amen.